welcome back to the Value Adds Value podcast with Kyle Krieger and Wilkie Law, where we're sharing inspiring stories of educators just like yourself, helping you to develop your craft and sharpen your tools to become the teacher your students deserve. This is the Value Adds Value podcast. Let's jump into this next episode. What is going on, everybody? Welcome back to Value Adds Value. My name is Kyle Krieger, and I am joined, as always, by my guy, Wilkie V. Law III. Will, what's good? Man, excited that it's the weekend mm-hmm. and excited that it's actually fall in Texas. Why you got to be? <laughs> I got to say it, man, because, you know, we normally we have two seasons, hot and not so hot. You know, <laughs> so right now, you know, I got off work yesterday, was able to go in my backyard. It was 81 degrees when I got off. And that's at five o'clock, 81 degrees. That is like unheard of in months. So I'm excited to be able to, you know, today I'm actually going to light up my fire pit tonight, you know, and mm. sit outside with my fire pit, you know? So I'm like, mm. beautiful. Yeah. So, I mean, yeah, us in Minnesota, you know, we had to cover our plants last night because there was a frost advisory, but you know, it is what it is. Um, Yeah. But we are super pumped for this week's podcast episode. There's like a 47% chance that this is going to go straight off the rails as soon as we <laughs> But um, Story of my life. <laughs> we, are, we are thrilled. We are thrilled to have the founder of Happy Teacher Revolution, Dana Thomas, on the podcast. Thank you, ma'am, for joining us this morning. Thank you so much, Kyle Wilkie. So so much for having me. I'm so grateful to be here. Y'all are making me laugh. I'm like, I I need to settle down. (laughs) We just spent 10 minutes talking about Las Vegas and all all sorts of different things. But uh, to make sure at least we start going down the right path, could you give everybody just a little bit of your background, um, how you got into the teacher teaching profession and kind of what you do now? Yeah, sure. So my name's Dana, like Dana Banana. I am a proud Baltimore resident. I was a former Baltimore City public school teacher for seven years, but my journey um, with education and, and where I'm at now is as, as a founder of a global movement called Happy Teacher Revolution. So I started a revolution right here in Baltimore, and our mission is to organize and conduct support groups for education professionals in the field of mental health and wellness to help increase teacher happiness, retention, and professional sustainability. So I really believe in prioritizing the well-being of our educators. And that's because when I was a student, my teachers were my emotional first responders who saved my life. When I was in high school and college, I struggled with crippling anxiety and depression and panic attacks. I represented the one in four Americans who grapples with a mental illness, the one in five college students who's contemplated suicide. It represents the statistic that the onset of mental illness most frequently occurs between the ages of 17 and 24. And my teachers, again, were the ones, my heroes, who recognized the subtle changes in behavior as warning signs, encouraged me to seek treatment to get help, provided life-saving differentiation and accommodation for me when I was in crisis. So you know, without Ms. Balderson, Professor Orr, Professor Sampson, like, it's not that I wouldn't have just graduated. It's like, I wouldn't be here today. I'm mm-hmm. talking with y'all. So it's really was an opportunity for me to, to develop my own passion and interest in, in teaching because of my own educators. And, and then when I first started teaching in Baltimore, I realized firsthand you know, the lack of preparedness around the emotional support for the grownups when it comes to doing the work. You know, and you, you said a lot, um, and I think now it's more um, prevalent to have those conversations, um, but still not happening as much as it should. When you said emotional first responders, because as educators, we see those kids when they come in and we can, we see them when they're having great days and we can see when it starts to shift, mm-hmm. you know, and uh, we had a student, Kyle and I, who was in our classroom we saw that shift and began to communicate with her and it changed everything for her. Mm-hmm. And she graduated this current year. And, you know, the fact that I came out this year talking about my mental health issues uh, and dealing with the depression uh, that I had, you know, and I always share it with my students because I think it's important for them to understand that I'm a safe place. 
and that if they are dealing with it, they can come to me. Um, but publicly going public with it uh, in through our podcast, this was first for me. And when the, when my students said, you know, hearing you talk about it gives me courage, you know, and encourages me. And I think that that's where we, we you know, teachers have to take care of themselves first. And if we're not doing that, again, we talked before about, you know, how teachers are put on this pedestal to have to be perfect all the time and you can't make mistakes. And so you live that rigid, tight life. And so you suppress a lot, you know, and when I went to your, when I went to your website, first off, I love the confetti. When the confetti started to fall out, I was like, it's <laughs> you know? That's a bad. I like it, it like so donut bad. sprinkles. Oh my God. That's what I thought. That's initially what I thought. I was like, man, it's sprinkles. I love it. And it just made me feel good. You know, and I think that we have to bring that feel good energy in the classroom mm-hmm. because energy is not, you can't produce it. You can't destroy it. It's transferred. So when you walk into the classroom, you've got to be prepared for what the kids are going to transfer. But I would rather be preemptive and transfer my good energy, you know, from the moment they hear the music walking down the hallway or the moment they see me hanging outside my door, welcoming them in the room, like giving them that good energy so that if you are having a bad day, I can contribute to helping turn that around. Mm -hmm. And that's so important. And again, it first starts with me knowing my own emotional state and where I am. And um, so, yeah, I salute the, the happy teacher revolution. I, well, I stand and, with you. Well, and, <laughs> and the, the now, you know, going on eight, eight year relationship between the two of us that has brought all of this together was mm-hmm. based on that. I was at a point when I started working with Will that I was to say I was very unhappy is putting it mild. Mm. And he was, I was lucky enough to have a colleague who recognized that and walked me through the steps. But then we've been sort of, on, but now as friends, we're on this rotating shift where when one of us notices it, the other, you know, we're there. But like he said, like most teachers don't have that. Mm-hmm. Most teachers aren't lucky enough to have a colleague like that who who takes the time to get to know me like and it wasn't right away that he recognized it we were well into the school year when he started to get to know me because he could see me at my like he saw my good moments and then he was like why aren't why aren't we having these good moments all the time and 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 he recognized because I had I had the false pretense that my unhappiness in my personal life was based on my unhappiness at school but it was the opposite. My unhappiness in my personal life was causing me to be unhappy in the one thing that I really love doing, which is mm-hmm. teaching. And and it's so, I mean, and that's only been seven years and I can't, I mean, so much has changed about teacher well-being and teacher self-care just in those seven years. Yeah, big time. And I think it's really interesting because as teachers, it's like, we have this compartmentalized like view of ourselves. Like there's Miss Thomas and there's Dana. Like when I'm Miss Thomas, it's like, okay, I wear these like not cute shoes and I'm, you know, look a little haggard and I got two big coffees in my hand and I'm not going to the bathroom when I need to go to the bathroom or eating lunch on my lunch break. So like doing those things. And it's like, wait a second, like it took me so long to realize like I, the best version of Miss Thomas to show up for my students went, was when I was taking care of Dana, was when I was getting enough sleep, when I was actually eating breakfast, uh, when I was prioritizing uh, my well-being. And so I think that's what is really important, especially now for educators more than ever, is like this code switching of this not so much work-life balance, but more so work-life integration. Like how can we weave in well-being not only in the roles as as education professionals, as the grown-ups in the space, as the folks who are serving kiddos, but like how can we do it alongside our kiddos? How can we do this so that we're modeling it to our students? Because there's really great social emotional learning curriculum out there, really great apps, SEL all over the place. The best, I believe, the best social emotional learning curriculum that could ever be taught to a student is the modeling of social emotional competencies from the grown up. Like we are the best SEL curriculum. So we have to make sure that we're developing relationship skills, social awareness, self-awareness. And for folks who don't have that colleague, you know, I have been so lucky in my places of work that my, my 
my colleagues were my inspiration. But I didn't feel support from my leadership, from my administration, from my union, from the district, from X, from Y, from Z. I felt support from my my teachers down the hall, the ones who I, I stood alongside. And Happy Teacher Revolution very much was born from a place of darkness and loneliness and pain and desperation. Like I'm super positive. I'm like giggling with you guys and on staff. And it's 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 a light in my life that I get to wake up every day and be a full-time advocate for educators. But mm-hmm. this whole movement started in the midst of Freddie Gray in Baltimore. It started when I had 39 kindergartners in my classroom in a toxic school building with asbestos in the tiles and lead in the water. And, you know, I I didn't have air conditioning or heat. I was, I, I was reprimanded to one of my students during the polar vortex when I let them wear their jackets in the classroom because we broke uniform policy. And when I microwaved my lunch in the teacher's lounge in the microwave, I couldn't tell how many seconds were left because of the roaches crawling in front of the numbers. So we were, we were teaching and the, my students were learning in this toxic environment. I would go home. I, well, I would go home really late, lock up with the custodial staff, like stay till like nine, past nine o'clock at night go home, to be honest with you, drink too much wine, stay up late scrolling on my phone, looking at pro bono lawyers to explain to me why there are class size limits for daycares and not kindergarten classrooms in the United States of America, all the while to drive to work the next morning and a bunch of traffic, you know, spilling coffee on myself, but to work for an administration that was sexually harassing female teachers in the building, specifically those of us who weren't tenured because we were too scared to speak up and lose our jobs. We are still in court proceedings for this particular um, individual who was an assistant principal. And, and it's just, it's horrifying that, that these are some of the conditions of our school buildings, that, that a student's learning conditions, a teacher's working conditions are a student's learning conditions. Mm-hmm. And so I think what is so important now more than ever is that our educators are realizing that they are not renewable resources, that their families and loved ones see them as non-renewable resources, and that we have to make sure that we're modeling this well-being, not just for ourselves, not just for each other, but for our kids. And I can't understand how people don't get, like you said, that that you, the renewable resource that there's just not there's just not an endless supply of teachers right now. Ooh, and, they, and there wasn't before COVID. We were in a shortage yeah. and a crisis before this pandemic. Oh, every, everywhere pandemic. is like <clears throat> Wilkie. Weren't didn't you do some research on it for your your dissertation or no? We did it for there? the um, for the AIE conference when we had we the did. conversation about teacher shortages. Um, I mean, but and, uh, it's in the several hundred thousands, isn't it? Yeah, the still. amount. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And, and probably still- even more now because there are more teachers retiring because of COVID because they mm-hmm. feel unsafe going into, you know, there are teachers who are still being forced to have to teach face-to-face who may have underlying conditions, but they don't have any other choice. They're being forced to go into buildings. Uh, and, and, you know, again, is it the best possible situation? No. Um, but again, they're opting to retire instead of push themselves through that and put their families potentially through them having to do that. And that's, you know, that's that's unfortunate, extremely unfortunate. Um, but again, like I say, you just have to, I, I want to go back to something you said when you talked about there's no separation between Ms. Thomas and Dana. Mm-hmm. Dana. Um, every time I say it now, I'm going to think of banana. So <laughs> you, you put that in my mind, but you're funny, Wilkie. The only time it didn't work was with a, was someone with a British accent. They were like, "Oh, like Donna Banana." <laughs> I was like, "Oh no, I'm not right." <laughs> <laughs> but when you said that, I thought about I was watching the, um, a documentary on Carl Sagan and his wife who created. Uh, the show, The Cosmos, you know, with Neil uh, Tyson degrees. And she made the statement that people said to them, how can you do this all the time? Uh, You you know, you're you're spending so much time into this. And she said there was no, there was never a separation between them as a couple and them as the producers and creators of the show because they were so intertwined. You know, and I often tell people, I'm a teacher, no matter what. I mean, I went to, I was in the, I'm, an, I'm an ordained minister because to me, that's an extension of teaching. And so for me, it's like, no matter where environment I'm in, I'm going to be teaching some type of way. So I am Mr. Law, but Mr. Law is also Wilkie, mm-hmm. you know, and I can't separate the teacher, Mr. Law, from 
the Wilkie Mr. Law. We were on vacation and kids were running around us playing and the parents were like, I'm so sorry. I'm like, I'm a teacher. So I said, like, hey guys, let's play a game. You know, and immediately all these kids come around and they're excited and they're, and so then they run off and they go do this and they come back and they run off. And she's like, but you're on vacation. They, is the fireman really ever on vacation? If, if the firefighter sees smoke coming out of a building, is he on vacation? Is the police officer who's on vacation sees someone purse get snatched? Is he still on vacation? No. So it's still, that's our profession. Now, do I take my time? Yeah, but my joy is bringing joy to kids and making sure that they're growing and they're developing and they're understanding. Now, when I said, okay, kids, the game was over. Now you can go do it. The kids went and they kept playing it themselves. You know, so now they're not bothering me. I've had a moment with them. They've had a moment with me. We've learned something. The parents have learned that you can actually engage your kids while you're having a relaxing time. Because I didn't stop sipping what I was sipping to play with them. I continued to do what I was doing. Mm -hmm. You know, but again, you, you, you've got to realize that you are one person. Mm -hmm. And I think trying to do that duality of, well, at work, I'm this person. And at home, I'm a different person. Yeah. Then who's getting the real? Mm -hmm. which is which is real and which is which which is, is a facade that you're trying to keep up with because one of them is going to hurt the other yeah, that's so funny because Wilkie I was I was working on our writing project must have been yesterday or the day before and I wrote how much energy it takes a teacher to be somebody that they're not mm -hmm. and like how much energy it takes to pretend that the person you are at school is different from who you really are versus the amount you know like the the little bit of the painful part of as Wilkie says always looking in the mirror and and having tough conversations with yourself it's so it's so strange man it's so strange mm -hmm. to me I, but that word integrate like that's like the perfect word because I should be bringing the if I'm not integrating Kyle with Mr. K like I'm not bringing the best parts of myself to my kids mm-hmm we talk exactly. about renewable resources, there's not a lot of teachers, but guess what? There's only one Kyle Krieger. There's only one Dan of Banana. You know what I mean? There's only one Wilkie Law. We are the only one of our kind. Mm -hmm. So whereas teachers are in shortage, you're even more of a commodity mm -hmm. and even more rare. Mm -hmm. You know, and as teachers, we need to understand that that sense of authenticity that we bring to the classroom can only be achieved by us being ourselves all the time. Mm -hmm. all the Absolutely. Time. Absolutely. And I think it's also a level of like vulnerability in terms of mm -hmm. being ourselves because, you know, for example, my first year teaching one, one method of self-care I adore and a huge part of my life is playing the saxophone. I've been playing the sax since the fourth grade because Elisa Simpson and she was my inspiration. She still is actually. And so anyway, I studied music in college. Like, it was very much part of, I was advocating for, um, you know, female artists and jazz musicians and, you know, something that I, was really powerful part of my life. And my first year teaching, my saxophone collected dust in the closet. Like I didn't play, I didn't take it out. And I remember sitting there at the end of my first year reflecting with my coach and she said, you know, what are some goals for next year? What are some things that you regret? I was like, I didn't, I didn't play my horn. I wasn't really playing gigs, you know? And she said, bring your sax to the first day of school next school year. So that's what I did. Like my second year, I brought my saxophone into the classroom and then music was integrated in everything that we did. I, I integrated music and the arts. We didn't have a music teacher, which broke my heart, but that didn't mean that my students couldn't still learn song and dance and pattern and use it to line up and our procedures and to learn letter mm -hmm. sounds and counting. And so it was so fascinating because it was this part of me of who I am and which makes me special that I got to present to my kiddos and then all my kindergartners knew all their woodwinds, you know? They said, that's a woodwind, that's a brass, you know? And I felt real hype when I would start playing songs and then they start snapping on two and four, swinging, you know? Mm. Like, they're not lame, we're not square in kindergarten, we had a good time. So, mm. you know, I think uh. that that piece is really important and it's hard to manage. I mean, it's not, it's not easy. It's like, oh, be yourself. It's like, okay, if that was so easy, like, <laughs> I wouldn't be swiping on Bumble right now. I'm still on the app, you know what I'm saying? And so it's like, it's hard to be yourself and to be vulnerable and to put it out there in that capacity. But I think when our students see us show up in that way, um, that's just another like barrier that kind of gets dropped where we build relationship and, and build that authentic human connection. So I got to pause real quick because 
I'm a jazzer. You know, I'm sitting here next to my keyboard. My trumpet's right. behind me. My guitar is behind me. Uh, I have a program for, for my school in my middle school it's called the Music and Arts Collective that we work with kids and teach them how to find their voice and to mm. put their voice into their art, whether it's mm -hmm. drawing, whether it's uh, videography, photography, whether it's rapping, singing, writing, spoken word. And the last two years has been an amazing experience watching shy, quiet kids who literally we have one girl who all of her teachers said, how did she get in your program? She doesn't even talk in class, but she stood in an auditorium with 70 other kids and sang a song entirely in Japanese. Wow. And I said to myself, I got to have this girl. Like the other two, other, uh, other, the students make the decisions, but I went to them. I was like, y'all better pick her. You better pick her. You better pick her. You know, and when she came in, for her to come in to a group that's always loud and her not change who she was, but when it was time to perform, it was a different person. And I said, you know, that that's the power of art. That's the power of the arts, giving kids that, that voice to be able to do that. And when you bring it in and kids know it, everything that we learn is through music. You know, if I, if I sat in my classroom and I just said, ba -da -ba -ba -ba, all the kids go, <laughs> because again, that's how okay. they're, they're conditioned to mm -hmm. learn through music. Everything is learned through music. And like I say, if that's who you are, man, I, I started doing it at, and when Kyle and I talked together, I would bring my keyboard and sit my keyboard in the front of my room. And then when I started playing guitar, I would bring the guitar and show them I'm learning, you know, still not that great on guitar, but for the kids to see that I'm willing to take pointers from a student yes. Yes. who would say, Mr. Law, I know how to do this. Can you play this part? And they would play something. And I'm like, man, you're amazing. Next week you're playing, not me. You know, well, give me something to practice so I can practice it all week. And now you're building that true cooperative learning environment mm -hmm. where they see, yeah, I can teach you math, but I'm allowing you to teach me guitar. I'm allowing you to teach me about something that you love. And that is when kids really begin to flourish. And I can only imagine doing that with, with a group of kindergartners. They were probably through the moon. <laughs> well, it's fun because it's like, you know what? But so are the grownups are through the moon too. You know, it's like on my Zoom calls and stuff, and all these keynotes, conferences, all these big gigs that got canceled or just revamped in this virtual way. I thought, you know what? I'll play my saxophone on the keynote. Why not? I mean, people are staring at their screen, Zooming all day. So I'll just play my saxophone. And there's the quote that I love from one of my favorite books is called The Resilient Practitioner, uh, Burnout and Compassion Fatigue for the Caring Profession. So the quote, something along the lines of, how does the baseball pitcher take care of the arm, the woodcutter, the axe, the ballerina, the legs and feet, the photographer, the eyes, the helper in a caring relationship, intensive profession, the self. So I talk about how my sax sound like before I play a gig, I have to make sure my, my reed's not chipped, my keys aren't sticky, that the instrument's working so I can play the music. And it's like, well, how do you show up for the gig? What's the instrument that you have to take care of? It's this. You are an instrument of change. You are literally an instrument of change. Take care of your instrument. And then I play like a, a, a George Michael solo from Careless Whisper. If you want me to get my sax, I will at any point. You just let me know. I love, I'm, I love I'm a nerd Whisper. with my sax. Yeah. <laughs> I'm a band nerd. <laughs> I love, I love marching, man. I'm a huge nerd. Me too, me too. I did it in college. Did it in college. Trumpet player. Everyone's raising their hand, yep. Yep, yep. you bet. Awesome. Mm. So I got to figure out where, where we want to jump back into these questions. Because what we should do the... So originally when we started this whole thing, we wanted to help teachers become the kind of teacher their students deserve. So when you hear that phrase, the teacher students deserve, what comes to mind for you? I think students deserve a happy teacher. I think that students deserve someone who's in front of them. Like imagine if a child from the moment they're pre-K kindergarten through 12th grade and beyond in, in you know, higher level ed, like imagine if the grown-up that was standing in front of them was happy, loved their job, was being themselves and authentic and, and, and loving every moment that they're doing. You know, my, my mom said that she, I was raised to believe that if, if you find a job that you love, you never work a day in your life. And so our students deserve happy teachers who are prioritizing their well-being. I think 
Um, you know, our students deserve to know that we are all operating within a system that has been designed um, to silence and minimize certain individuals, certain voices uh, and communities. So I think I, our students deserve to know that they are advocates too, uh, that their voice matters. And our teachers deserve to know that they are advocates too and that their voice matters. Um, so I think that is what is, is truly like the message that, that first comes to mind. You know, one of my favorite educators who I nerd out about all the time is Dr. Chris Emden, um, the hip hop head, hip hop ed movement and, and Columbia Teachers College. And he said, an educator who feels unsafe, uncared for and devalued cannot give their best selves, cannot bring their best selves to their work, that basic human needs extend to those who teach just as much as they extend to those who are to be taught. So our, our students deserve their basic human needs prioritized, and so do our teachers. 100. Mm -hmm. Oh, man. I love it. That's probably was, one of the best responses I've heard. You know, and it, and it and it comes back to and Wilkie and I both talked about you know Maslow and the hierarchy yeah. of needs and stuff, yes. stuff like that. That basic, but the the thing that I was kind of coming back to is the word revolution. Mm -hmm. So why why choose to call it the Happy Teacher Revolution? Yeah, it's a it's a pretty powerful word. It scares a lot of people. A lot of principals are like, oh my gosh, do not get that crazy lady in here. She's going to be having our teachers rise up and like, yeah. <laughs> right? So I'd like to focus on the word love. You can't spell revolution without love. This is coming from a place of love for ourselves, for our kids, but it very much was inspired by the consciousness raising groups of the civil rights movement, of the women's liberation movement, of collectively organizing to allow teachers to amplify their voices, to connect and hear and listen to other voices that are not their own, um, and to start organizing and thus enact systemic change. But it really, it's sort of like the, the word revolution. I mean, it's, it's about revolutionizing education. There's the saying that goes, it takes a, vi a village to raise a child. Well, who's taking care of the village? Like the revolution is, what if the best way to help kids was to make sure that we're prioritizing those caregivers, we're prioritizing the village um, so that they can keep supporting the kiddos, right? So we talked about teacher retention, teacher turnover. We're losing 50% of our teachers in the first five years, half of teachers. Imagine if we saw that number for doctors, for lawyers, for police officers, for firefighters, right? Like, but for, we're losing, and again, this data is from before COVID. So this is costing the United States $7.3 billion every single year in the constant recruitment and training of new teachers. That's a lot of money, 7.3 billion. My state of Maryland, where, where I am, we're in the bottom quintile. So we spend a hundred million in Maryland alone. And so imagine if we were looking and, and, and seeing at viewing companies like Google, okay, pretty successful company, Google, right? <laughs> they invest in the happiness and well-being of their workforce. And they see that when they invest in the happiness and well-being of their workforce, that folks take less sick days, they're more likely to come back next year, they enjoy their job, right? They're more productive. But who's investing in the well-being of our educators? Our teachers are literally on the cover of Time Magazine for selling their blood plasma because they're not earning a living wage. Full stop. One of the educators I was connected with through Happy Teacher Revolution, she's also an active duty soldier. She said, in the military, they've got it figured out. She said, I got a GI Bill. They pay for my school. They pay for this and that. They support me in X, Y, and Z. She said, well, as, as an educator, I got student loans. I got to recertify every five years. And you know, I'm, how, how am I supposed to take care of myself? But an article, a self-care article went off from my district in my, my email inbox every now and then. Like That's not self-care. Um, and so I think what we really need to do is to reevaluate. And I'm so lucky to be able to work with schools and districts who are visionary in seeing like, okay, we want to support our kids. So we're going to invest in this. We're going to take a small portion of that big chunk of money that we're spending every year for the turnover. And we're going to invest in the workforce we already have uh, to help support them with this intervention. And happy teacher revolution. We're not a fix all. We, we can't fix everything. But we're an intervention. We, we, we are an opportunity to provide those supports for teachers in terms of their social emotional learning, in terms of a trauma informed practice for the grown ups. So that's what the revolution's all about. Yeah. And it will be televised. It will be televised. <laughs> it will be televised. I, um, you know, we had um, uh, Dr. Uh, Aliria Muhammad, who's an educator here in Houston. Um, I had the privilege of being a high school classmate with her, and 
she said that in her, when we were, into, we were talking to her, she said she considers herself an educational revolutionary. And that put that word for me in the space of education. And I said, it got us to thinking that how much of our educational practices have not changed mm. over the course of the history of our country. You know, schools are still build, being built the same way. Teachers are still being trained in the same way. Even though our population has changed, Mm-hmm. Even though things have gotten faster, can you imagine if, if McDonald's tried to make the burgers that they make the same way they did when they first opened before the machines, before the quick squirt this and this and that, you know, before all of that, they couldn't push out. They would have lines that would last so long that their business would fold because people would stop coming. Mm-hmm. But education, we're still providing students today. You know, my, my principal two years ago said we we're trying to teach. Wi-Fi students with landline strategies. Ooh. And wow. to go even deeper than that, we're trying to teach students to be adaptive with maladaptive teachers. Hey, we just wanted to take a quick second to thank you for listening to the Value Adds Value podcast, taking a quick break from this episode to just say thank you. Um, as we approach our 300th episode and we're approaching the 100,000 download mark. We just are so grateful for the people who have been on this journey with us. And um, those numbers are important to us. So if you could subscribe to this podcast, share it, help us, you know, make that 100,000 download mark, help us continue to make a difference and support educators with things that they need, with stories, and to share the best parts of this profession with the wonderful people that are in it. So again, thank you for listening to Value Adds Value. We would love it if you would subscribe and share this episode. And as always, we appreciate you and we hope you enjoy the rest of this episode. You know, teachers who don't know how to handle their own struggle, who don't know how to handle their own emotional turmoil, who have not come to grips of some things that may have happened to them in their past, So now they're bringing that into the classroom and it doesn't take, it only takes a moment to be set off. When I know as someone who deals with depression, people's like, well, you know, you can feel it coming on and you don't know. I could be literally, you know, I was driving to work the other day and I heard my mom's favorite song. Mm. And the moment I heard the song, I, I, I just felt a wave. And I literally had to sit in my car and tell myself, if my mom was here right now, what would she say to me? And I would have to play back her thoughts in order to pull me out of it. Because if not, I would have gone into the building feeling this sense of, oh my God, you know, sadness. And, 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 and then I'm transferring it over to my students and it, I would have been no good. You know, but again, knowing your triggers, knowing what pushes you, you know, I'm very cautious of what I listen to before I go into my building. I'm very cautious of what I listen to when I leave my building. And a lot of teachers are not at that place or they haven't been introduced to that place to where you gotta, like you say, gotta get what gets you ready for your gig. Mm-hmm. What, what what's your checklist that you do before you go into a gig? You know, and I think that that's so so important that you that you get people ready for what they're going to do, mm-hmm. and not just push them in there and say, oh, you've been taught the content, you know, we've given you the pedagogy, now go do it. You haven't talked me about me. And even still, like, trauma hasn't been brought up in education, I really think, until, like, the last five years. Mm -hmm. Like, I don't remember hearing trauma as, well, I shouldn't say that. It's not that I don't remember hearing about trauma. It's it being taken seriously. Mm -hmm. And really saying that, yes, there are, there is an abundance of proof scientific proof that trauma has an enormous impact on kids and if you take that to mean people if you just substitute people in there we're not talking about how the trauma of of that adults have faced whether it's recent or growing up and you know all those different things like if we're not dealing with that like how can we be 
our best, you know, cause the, the, the circumstance that got me to Wilkie school was I had moved from small town, Wisconsin to Houston taught four years and midway through my fourth year, my principal without saying so was like, you, you need to get on down the road and like made my year so miserable and threatened to do like threatened to take my coaching positions and all this stuff. And it was just like, it broke me. Like, and I didn't realize it. I mean, until years later, how much of an effect it had on me. And, and as a, you know, a guy in my late twenties, what did I do to deal? I went out all the time and I started hanging out with people that were going out all the time mm-hmm. because that's how I thought you coped with that. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I, I can, I can tell you from experience that teaching for the weekend is not a good that's not a good practice. And, you know, just, yeah, it's, it's just a really like, it's not saying we can't enjoy the weekend. Oh, there's a huge difference (laughs) between, there's a huge difference between looking forward to the weekend Mm. and teaching strictly to get to the weekend. Right. Exactly. I I look forward to Mondays. You know, I tell teachers all the time, they're like, you're so happy on Monday. I say that's Mondays for me are like, for the woodworker the day that the shipment of wood comes in. <laughs> so you're sitting there saying, okay, now I get to put my hands on something that, and make something out of this wood. That's how I look toward Monday. Monday is my, yeah, let's go get it. But by the time you get to Friday, you need that time to kind of cut off and breathe so that you can face Monday again with the right attitude, with the right mindset. And, you know, Everybody has a different decompression tool. I tell people, if you whatever you use to decompress, make sure that it's one that's sustainable. Mm-hmm. You know, going out drinking every every night is not sustainable. Mm-hmm. You know, but sitting down by the fireplace and reflecting on your week, that's sustainable. You know, you can sit there and do that. You know, hanging out with friends and just having non-educational talk. Mm-hmm. I don't know how many teachers don't talk to anybody but educators. And mm-hmm. It's like you're never not talking shop. So you never get anything but shop talk. So when you go back into the classroom, you really haven't built up anything. Mm-hmm. You know, you haven't built up any type of conversation outside of that in order to, to help empower and, and, and inspire your students to want to do something more. Right. Exactly. And I think the step before what I'm hearing a lot is just the, the step before self-care is self-awareness. Mm. it's that piece of not like knowing oneself like even knowing like oh I'm some physical triggers of when I'm escalated if my heart it starts beating or if I start like feeling like flushed or something like oh I'm getting you know activated (laughs) whatever and it's just like you know it's it's a means of self-care as not necessarily like the manicures and bubble baths sort of uh depiction of it but more so like the challenge of knowing like maybe there's a toxic friendship or relationship that or or job or boss that I need to disconnect and detach from you know um, maybe self-care is knowing that I there are some individuals I'm not going to engage with if they have a deep commitment to misunderstanding me no matter how much I try to explain to them you know it's like maybe self-care is removing that individual or just not trying to exert energy to convince them if they're if they are committed to misunderstanding what I'm all about, maybe self-care, you know, looks, it absolutely looks different for different people. Um, but I think it is important to think about, you know, in these moments of pain or be, or feeling uncomfortable or, or discomfort or, or stress, you know, what are, what do you do next? What is sort of your like go to, uh, uh, practice like for me I'll put on Netflix and I'll just start watching Real Housewives and when I start and I'll just be watching these episodes and I'm like wait a second Dana like what am I self-numbing like what am I tuning out what am I trying to escape from from just like going down this rabbit hole and so in some ways you know I I, I think it's really important that we schedule time in our days and our weeks and our months I, I love the idea of having a self-care day one day a month where you lesson plan for yourself, like you would for your kids at minute to minute or the hour. It's like you put all that time for your kiddos and the unit plan and, and just in, in terms of a one day's lesson, but what about a self-care day for you? And so for me, 
that includes play my saxophone, cooking some of my favorite grandmother's um, recipes. I love to read. I'm working on this puzzle right now that's dope. It's a Frida Kahlo. So I'm like really proud of myself and working on that. And so, you know, I have some plants. I love to garden. And, you know, I think that is really important for teachers to have the moment to self-reflect, but to actually schedule in your day, put it in your calendar, block that time off, commit that time to yourself. Like you would commit to anybody else at the drop of a hat. Right. And see if you put that, that self-care day in your calendar right now, and you come across it whenever it happens, witness what it, what you do for that day. Is it something that you actually show up for yourself for? Is it something that you consider like an optional thing? Because I think it's really important that we think about the scheduling component of our lives, the lesson planning part of our lives and utilize it for ourselves and our own well-being. Wow. Wow, that was a huge nugget. Like, <laughs> Mine's called Dana, Dana Day. Like Dana. Dana Day is my day of self care. Yeah. I love that. Well, Let's I'm... plan a day for yourself. Mm-hmm. That's wow. But and I must... for some people, it might be like monumental. It could be five minutes. Start with five minutes. You know, I don't want people to think that this is like too much, you know, but start with five minutes. If you can't find five minutes for yourself, then like, then you really, really need the day of self-care. <laughs> but look, think about it. We give 90 minutes to each each class, you know, 30, anywhere from being 45 to 90 minutes for each class. And we plan out each thing. So if we can do that if five days a week, you know, eight months out of the year we surely be, should be able to go in and do that exact same thing once a month for ourselves mm-hmm. and put in, if you like to garden, that all I'm going to do today is I'm going to go buy me some new plants and I'm going to replant and repot and do this and beautify it and spend time talking with the plants. I talk to my plants. Oh yeah. Know, they love it. And, and I watch <laughs> them flourish when I talk to them, you yes. know? And, and so it's like that thing that makes you a great teacher apply it to yourself. That's what I just heard. Mm -hmm. That thing that makes you a great teacher, that planning, that prep time, that setting aside of time, that makes you, if you, if that makes you a great teacher, then apply it to yourself. And that's just Mm -hmm. mad. Wow. Well, I, I can't think of the number of times that even just this summer where I had school stuff that I wanted to work on, but like my dad called me and he's like, Hey, we got a, we got room for you to play golf if you want. And I have to like convince myself that it's okay for me to go spend four hours playing golf with my dad. Mm-hmm. And I think one of the things I struggle with, and you brought it up your first year that you were working until nine o'clock, like being okay, like being okay saying at four 30, I'm done. And on Saturday and Sunday, I'm, I'm not, I'm not doing that. And granted with, you know, with online learning, there have been a few students who like will send me an email at seven and then send me an email at eight and send me an email at nine. But now four weeks in the kids realize if you send me an email, then it's fine, but I'll get back to you in the morning. Mm-hmm. You know, it, and just that piece, but I want to come back to the, to the self-awareness piece. Cause I think that for me, that was the biggest challenge to self care was being self-aware so where where do you start with like in the process where do you feel like the process of being self-aware comes starts what are or what are some steps that people can take yeah so I mean that's it's a huge portion of um you know this conversation around well-being because yeah the self-awareness piece is huge and it's something that you know I think as educators, like we're very practiced in like the performance of teaching. So it's like, we're so tuned in as empaths to all of the folks around Mm. us, our kiddos, our colleagues, um, parents, community stakeholders, right? Like that we, we like numb out our own bodies. Like, especially when I first started teaching, I would get really sick during like winter break, spring break. It was like, I was just not paying attention or listening to what my body was screaming and shouting at me. And then I would just, I would just crumple on the ground and I I would just it was awful like I would felt so sick (laughs) during some of those holidays and so I think the first step I mean I to honestly is to to schedule 60 minutes with yourself to just pay attention to yourself so just like you would schedule a phone call with someone else like schedule this a 60 minutes of like self-awareness and see what comes up see what you do like if you were on a Zoom call with a parent, for example, like you wouldn't be texting necessarily on your phone or have it like Netflix in the background or whatever, doing a million things. Like, so that, that's what I'm saying is, is have that level of focus and attention and attuneness to yourself. 
Um, another self-awareness practice is, is mindfulness meditation. I'm a, a huge uh, advocate for mindfulness. I know that some folks um, who might have tried it might be like, oh, it's not for me or and that's not my thing. But uh, it really truly is. And when I say mindfulness, it, it could be just preparing your tea or coffee in the morning. It could be washing the dishes, walking the dog, like just being tuned into present moment, your five senses and your breath. Um, I think would be that that first step to self-awareness. You know, and it's funny, I get called the hippie at my school because <laughs> I, I, I teach that to kids. You know, and I <laughs> and go in the other teacher's room and they're like, and the teacher's like, where you get that from, Mr. Law? So then they're like, yeah, I hear you're teaching these kids how to be hippies. And I'm like, no, I'm teaching them to understand their bodies. Mm-hmm. You know, you're te- we're teaching middle school kids where their body is so changing so fast and if you don't ever stop them to say okay pay attention to how you feel you know scan your body real quick close your eyes and scan your body up and down real quick and and determine what what's hurting if you feel a pain where is that pain and then let's try to go into what makes that what why is that pain then you start realizing well I remember how I slept last night or I remember that I'd sit like this so what does that tell you that maybe I shouldn't sleep like that. Maybe I should find something to do that. And the next time you do a body scan, see if there's a difference. Mm-hmm. But, you know, no one drives their car without getting some type of service to it. You know, your car is, most cars now are so smart. I get an email when my tire is low. When my tire is low, it tells me your tire is performing at... Suboptimal. Right. You know, and, and, you know, so I'm like, okay, if, if our cars are smart enough to let us know when they need service, mm. we have to look in ourselves and know when we need that service as well. But if we constantly scan ourselves, that being mindful of the moment that we're in, you know, I love um, the power of now, mm-hmm. uh, you know, reading that and being present in that moment. You know, I try my best to eliminate distractions when I'm talking with people because I am, I do have adult attention deficit disorder. I know myself. And so if you give me things to focus on, then I'm going to fiddle and I'm going to do this and I'm going to do that. But at the same time, I also give myself that, that space to say, what causes me to drift off into that place? You know, what am I not doing in that moment that causes me to, to veer off? You know, and I think that that's what we have to teach to teachers mm-hmm. in order teachers to be able to articulate that to students so students are more adaptive and are willing to do you know go into those places mm-hmm. absolutely and it's a portion of you know we have uh, that moment of mindfulness in every happy teacher revolution meeting that we hold it's a part of our framework and and methodology so to speak so um you know if folks are interested in getting more information or or being a part of Happy Teacher Revolution. I'm just so excited that we've been expanding. We're adding more states. Um, We're going global. We're expanding. I had a a call just uh, a few days ago. We're expanding across Canada. And so I'm so excited to be working with the EdCan network um, and to support Canadian teachers as well as teachers in the U.S. But we have sites in Africa, um, in Senegal and Dakar and Nigeria. Um, and we're, we're, we're truly growing. And, and so I think what's really cool is just the opportunity not only to have these practices of self-awareness for oneself, but to have this community space with colleagues as well to practice mindfulness and to hold one another accountable for setting boundaries, for saying no, you know, for calling in sick and not going on Zoom if you are sick. Like these teachers who who tested positive for COVID-19 and are still teaching on Zooms while having the virus. Meanwhile, you know, their PTO is putting signs outside in their front yawn saying, oh, teacher of the year, teacher appreciation. It's like, we need to change the narrative and the teachers that we're celebrating. And we need to celebrate the teachers who are making this sustainable for themselves, um, for their loved ones, for their families. And I just think back to what we were talking about too, like when we, we, see, we see this symptom of our problem, but we don't dig down to find out what the actual issue is. And I think that was a really hard spot for me with self-care is I could see the outward manifestation of what my problems were, but it took me a long time to really diagnose. And, and I, I, for one, had a real big problem with my circle. My circle outside of school was a large part of the problem. And once I started to separate from that, 
I started to see that the choices I was making was to fit into that circle rather than to be the person that I should be, the person that I wanted to be. And it, it just is so hard, but like, I just can't comprehend why, like, like, why is it that when everybody knows how important this is, it doesn't get prioritized? Like how, how in a system like this, do we not, do we not prioritize? Cause I know like, there are still brand new, those, there are still so many brand new teachers that are doing the exact same thing all three of us did, which was work ourselves right down to the bone. You can't quantify happiness. You know what I mean? When you're looking at it, the, the, the people in power, you know, our boards of education, they, they can't, they can't, they don't have a happiness meter for each teacher. You know, they have a, it's, it's very data driven. But if you look at the data and you actually started polling your teachers and asking the teachers, you know, like I asked students in my classroom, how did this go? How did this feel? How do you feel with this? How am I as a teacher? I do that at the end of every quarter because that helps give me ammunition to become better at what I'm doing. And a lot of people say, well, that's really, you know, students are not going to be able to tell you. Yeah, they will. And if, you, if, you're, if you're fooling yourself, if you're thinking you're not going to listen and you're going to better serve them. You know, when you go into a restaurant, they give you on the bottom of a receipt, how are we doing? Do this. And then, and then they offer incentives. You have a chance to win a $500 gift certificate just for participating. Why? Because your feedback is so important to them. So as educators, our feedback should be just as important to our building principals, our building administrators, our district administrators, our, our state, our national level, that they're listening to the people on this emotional front line. For our mm -hmm. students and say, are we giving you what you need, teacher, that you can do your job effectively? And that's not happening. Yeah, you're absolutely right. And it's interesting because you both touch on a point of this lack of like data and research information around trauma around like teacher well-being around this. Like there it's a relatively new field. I mean, this has only come about pretty recently. And the fact that it hasn't existed before now, like I literally, when I first started Happy Teacher Evolution, I Googled teacher mental health. Like what comes up? Anything, Google, tell me. Everything was student focused, mm -hmm. which is awesome. But like, we're missing that teacher piece. So we're missing the research and data behind it and we're working on it. And like, that's where I realized that I'm learning out now at the helm of this global movement is that I have an opportunity to collect some really rich research and data around why this matters, why this matters, you know? And there's three big reasons why teacher mental health and well-being matters. The first is that it impacts uh, student uh, behavior or student, you know, it's our student SEL, right? So a research from the University of British Columbia out of Canada, they were taking biometric data. So they're taking saliva samples of teachers and students. They had teachers and students spit into these containers. And of course, the middle school kids loved it. They had a great time, but they're measuring the stress hormone that we call cortisol. They found that teachers with a higher level of cortisol had students with a higher level of cortisol, which means to say that stress is contagious. We also know that from research from the University of Arizona, that teacher depression, they've been able to connect teacher depression to low student math scores. So that if, if we're not supporting our teacher mental health and wellness, we're not supporting student behavior and student academic achievement. And then finally, the biggest one for me is research from the Yale Child Study Center shows that if our teachers are stressed out, they're low job satisfaction, if they're not happy, um, they're more likely to refer, suspend, uh, and discipline uh, students of color more so, and also boys more than girls at a rate of four times as much. So if we're not supporting teacher mental health and well-being, we're not supporting academic achievement, academic or student behavior, and we're perpetuating the school to prison pipeline because then those children are more likely um, to then just be funneled through the system. And so this is an equity issue. This is a social justice issue. And, and from our lens, from Happy Teacher Revolution, the research data standpoint, I have teachers who said, literally testimonials where they say happy teacher revolution saved my life it saved my marriage it's the reason i was able to get pregnant i after multiple miscarriages it saved my family my daughter was in an abusive relationship happy teacher revolution saved her but at the end of the day like they, 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 that doesn't it everyone wants the data everyone wants the research and so what we have been measuring for the past three years we first launched in 2017 in this like ed tech space and we were measuring teacher burnout. We were measuring compassion fatigue. We were measuring toxic stress. We were using the Professional Quality of Life Index. We were using a Maslow burnout inventory, all this. 
and okay, we proved teachers are stressed. <laughs> it's like, all right, we proved it. But, and, and we can maybe improve burnout from like, okay, a level 19 down to level nine, something like that. But, but what really I want to do is to help teachers not just survive in the work that they're doing, but to thrive in their roles. And so we're aiming to support teacher well-being. And so that's self-awareness, that's self-acceptance, that's environmental mastery, um, that's personal growth, that's having a purpose in life. Because we want to know, how do we replicate that for the teachers that are happy? Like this thing, happiness thing, like how do we quantify that? How do we show in, in a, a pre-assessment, post-assessment? Our big question is, does happy teacher revolution, is this one of the contributing factors to well-being? not just for the folks who are leading the group. So we actually do call revolutionaries. Those are the names of the people who initiate and lead the happy teacher revolution meetings, but the folks who are coming to the group and the, the ripple outward effect of the students um, and, and families and those types of things. And so it's just been really exciting the the enthusiasm of educators who believe in this, who align with this. Um, you know, we just hit over 32,000 followers on social media. I'm like, oh my gosh, this is amazing. This was just this was just an account I started one day, you know, in my classroom. I'm like, well, I guess I should have an Instagram. <laughs> I didn't even have a personal Instagram at the time. And I'm like, oh my gosh, this is so cool. So my vision one day is to have our very own Happy Teacher Revolution well-being scale. And so that's mm -hmm. what is really exciting just about this timing of connecting with you both because we're about to launch this huge opportunity to be a part of this movement in a measured way to just tell the story of, of why this matters. Not just Happy Teacher Revolution, but any well-being professional support, why it is necessary for, for our educators. You know, and we did, we did a presentation, I, I'd have to remember which one, at the University of New Mexico. Oh, cool. And it was all about quantitative versus qualitative data. Hmm. And I have always been a qualitative person and, and I just, I can't, you know, you can't ever figure out, I mean, and I understand that qualitative data is so much clearer. It's so much easier to understand. It's so much easier, or sorry, quantitative data is what I meant to say. Quantitative, you can, you can show someone quantitative data and it's not arguable. But I just feel like in a situation with qualitative data, especially with teachers, People can so easily say, well, that's your experience, but is it the experience of X, Y, Z? Aren't you just an outlier? Aren't, and but you look at those trends, you take that same data across, across state lines, across the country, across the globe, and if you start seeing those same trends, now there is your quantitative data that you need from your qualitative research. And that's something that, you know, I'm in my doctoral right now. So that's, you know, when you're looking at numbers and you're looking at, you can, you, you can use that qualitative information, those feelings. And if you, you survey enough people and you put enough information out there, then you can start bringing it in and looking at the trends and saying, well, what is truly happening? If everybody says this, then, I mean, look at what Gallup does. Gallup puts out surveys about how student feels, how, how people feel about things, and then they just put the numbers to it. Because once you've done it so many times, you've asked the question to so many different people across different districts, across different states. Now you start to get the clearer picture of, no, like you said, teachers are stressed out. And when you add it in with the physiological uh, research that says that, no, they're producing this cortisol that's actually causing their students to produce it, which we can tell now that student goes home into an environment that's probably cortisol rich. <laughs> you know, which most of our home lives, our students, especially in urban and inner city environments, that's what they're dealing with. So now how do we stop it? How do we have a kid to have a break? I want my room to be like a paradise for a kid. That you can have all this stress around you, but this is like your little paradise island. Come in here and be yourself, be a kid. You know, be an 11, 12, 13 year old that likes to have fun and can smile when somebody cracks a joke and you don't have to have this scowl because you're in a safe place. And, you know, but again, you have to be happy with yourself. You have to be, you have to have that own, your own feel good, you know, before you can invite kids into that. Mm -hmm. You know, as a worship leader, I used to tell my, the, the, the team, my worship team, we can't invite parishioners to a place that we've never been. So that means that we have to get there before people and, and set the tone. So that when we start ushering people into this place, 
we're taking them to a place we've already been. We've already been there. Now you're coming in and let us get you there. And as educators, we have to do that exact same thing. We do it with the planning. We do it with the prep, but we don't do it with the self. Mm-hmm. And that's huge. Mm-hmm. That's huge. I'm definitely, I, I, we definitely will be in touch again. <laughs> yeah. I, that I, was I, a I, mic drop moment. <laughs> yeah, you know, and, and we, I, I think I can speak for us that whatever support we can give and however we can be a part of what you're doing, because we're 100% believers, oh, we're, you know, we would, Amazing. we would support you with whatever. So Will, um, I think what Will is saying is that I think if we let this go too much longer, we might lose track of time and I gotta be, <laughs> I gotta, I gotta go to a wedding this afternoon. <laughs> so um, Will, any more follow-ups? Uh, things you want to no. ask before we bring this in for landing. I, I can 100% say that this is the first of many conversations we're going to have. <laughs> yes. So, awesome. I'm already, I'm already got the, I, I didn't want to be distracted, but I did pull it up and I'm going to join the movement. Uh, yeah. So that, and I'm going to promote it at my school within my oh, district uh, to make sure, because again, the name itself doesn't tell the true story. Hearing your you talk about it and and the passion and the research that's going behind it, it really to me only makes sense that there needs to be happy teachers. Mm-hmm. That it needs to be happy teachers and and to connect teachers with other teachers that are showing them the way and giving them the tools to deal and to maneuver. I'm 100% on board. So. <laughs> Viva la revolution. <laughs> yes, 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 I am in. So All right. the last two questions, and then we're going to let you go. Um, I want you to think for a moment that you could put up a billboard along every student's educational highway. Mm-hmm. And every student in, in the country around the world can see this on their journey. Mm-hmm. What would be the words that you would put on there? What what would be your words? What would you communicate to the students on that billboard? My message would be that they are enough. They are agents of change in their own life and that their self-care is a priority. And that itself is an act of political revolution. And so that's sort of, I borrowed some, la- some language from Audre Lorde because I love Audre Lorde, but she says, she says something along the, si- the lines of, you know, self-care um, is not selfish, it's an act of self-preservation. Um, and I, so that's what I would want my students to know is that their self-care is so, so important because their voice is so, so important. And I want them to continue to sharing their stories um, and advocating for, for themselves. And so I want to make sure my students know that on the billboard on their education highway, that, that self-care is self-preservation. Hmm. That's not the first time we've heard that teaching about, about that political piece in education. <laughs> yeah, uh, uh, yeah. We that, don't we don't want to dive into the weeds on that because that, that, okay. that okay. okay. That's for next time. That's, That's right. stay tuned for more. Yeah, right, 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 right. So, okay, last one. When all the bells have rung, there's no more students. There's no more teachers going in and out. Um, everything is said and done. What do you want your legacy to be? I want my legacy to be that I became obsolete, that this happy teacher revolution led to our teachers claiming happiness as their own and that we didn't need a revolution anymore. So that I want my, I want to be obsolete. Wow. Put myself out of business. Yeah, I would have put myself out of business. Yeah, 100%. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> so, all right. For people who want to connect with you, people who want to, um, you know, join and find out what you're doing, what's the best place for them to do that? Yeah. So check out our website, www.happyteacherrevolution.com. If you want to follow us on our socials at happy teacher revolution. And if you want some of these free resources and freebies and to start the process and journey of, of, of being a part of our community of be potentially becoming a revolutionary yourself. And if this is something you care about, if you are a future teacher, a current teacher, a former teacher, and by teacher, I mean anybody who serves and works with kiddos. Uh, check out www.happyteacher.info. 
We love that. And like I said, we, I am certain that this is going to be one, the first of many, many conversations. Like I said, we, we are 100% with you. We'll support you with whatever you need. All you got to do is send us a message and we'll literally drop everything to have a conversation with you. So we, we really, really appreciate your time and really enjoyed the conversation today. Thank you both so much. I, I had a blast. I'm like, the time flies. This was so know, fun. So honestly, thank you both for this opportunity. It was really great just chatting and getting to know you better. And I'm going to have to email you because <laughs> I do think we should do a call where you jump on your horn and I jump on the keyboard. Let's do it. I think that would be pretty fun. <laughs> I mean, I think that would be I could go back to my high school and see if he'll loan me the baritone I used to play. He's probably still got it. Get the baritone, or we can at least give you a tambourine or something. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. Cowbell. Cowbell. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Don't, don't tempt me. I can always use more cowbell. Yeah. Oh, boy. All right. Well, again, thank you so much for joining us on the podcast. It was so fun. I appreciate y'all. It was.